You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Um, Charlie's still in here. If he's not, thank you, Charlie, and to... All the elders that did come caught us by surprise uh, early this this morning in the first hour, and uh, I kind of fumbled over some words, um, but I've had a chance to think about it. So, thank you. Um, I can't believe that we've been here for ten years. It's been uh, it's been an absolute joy. In fact, I was saying first, I, I almost feel embarrassed a lot of times when I'm at places where there are other pastors and I talk about how great. Bethel is because it's not a common experience, unfortunately, in a lot of places where uh, guys really struggle and, um, and, and are fighting for joy all the time. And I'll tell you, this is an easy place to serve with joy, as, as the writer of Hebrews says at the end. This is an easy place. This has been a wonderful place. You've loved us so well. You've loved my family, my wife, my kids, and I'm, we're overwhelmed uh, to be here. I can't believe we've been here 10 years. I, I hope I don't mess it up. And... Uh, but I am, I, the first point on Charlie's deal is we cannot deem this unsuccessful yet. I have a whole fresh crop of sweater vests coming for the winter, just so you know. And um, not, giving up that, not giving up that fight. And, uh, but no, but thank you. Um, and actually, the, the best deal that Bethel got out of the whole thing is my wife. And I uh, am the beneficiary of that, so just so you know. All right, here's what I want you to do. We're, we're going to look at, we're going to finish our series this morning on living generously, um, what whole life generosity looks like. And so we're going to do that. We're 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We've been looking the last four weeks, so this is the fourth week, over 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes us in the middle of this letter to the Corinthians, kind of a, hey, Corinth, you... Um, you heard about this project. You heard about the Jerusalem project. Um, your hearts were um, uh, stirred with generosity. You had all this zeal. Um, it's been a year later, and it's, it's time to do what you said you were going to do, is essentially what Paul is saying. And so he's writing to them, and he really is saying more than, hey, listen, you promised this. I'm coming. Um, get ready. There is definitely that, but he's giving them a theology, an understanding, a a picture of, man, why this is such a joy, why this is such a privilege uh, to get to be a part of, because they'd lost the perspective. And so Paul is writing to them, and their relationship was complicated. Paul's in a difficult place in his life. Um, he's struggling, has been struggling. And yet I want you to know, at the end of this passage today, we, we come to verse 15 in, in chapter 9. And, and it is as, it's as though Paul shouts from the top of his lungs with sort of old joy and happiness of thanks be to God for the inexpressible gift that he's given. That's where he's leading to. He's going to begin in verse 6. We're going to look this morning. He's wrapping it up, and he, he's going to lay out a metaphor, of an agricultural metaphor. He's going to give us a principle about New Testament generosity. Uh, and then he's going um, to give us some, some pictures of how these things work, who God is in the midst of it. 
And uh, to, to begin, I'll tell you a little, uh, read to you a little bit or tell you a little bit about a story called Gift of the Magi, written in 1904. Um, the writer was a guy named William Sidney Porter. He was known, his pen name was O. Henry. And maybe you read this. Maybe you read this in, in, in uh, uh, high school. Maybe you read it in, in, in college, something like that. Gift of the Magi. And it's a story that he writes, and he's writing it about these two, uh, this, this young married couple, okay? And the, and the wife's name is Della, and the husband's name is Jim, and he has had a significant, it's, it's hard times, he's, he's lost half his income, he's still going to work every day, and it's Christmas Eve, that's the setting. And all she has, she's saved, scraped together, she's got a $1.87, and with that $1.87, she's determined, I mean, she wants to buy her husband the gift to show him her love, I mean, that's all that she wants, she just some expression of what he means to her. And so she's trying to think of what it is. His most prized possession was this pocket watch he had, but he didn't have a chain that hooked to the pocket watch. And so evidently those chains were, were, were valuable, and she wanted to buy him this chain. It's called a fob in the, in the story. And so she goes around, she, she tries to look at it, dollar $1.87 wouldn't begin to, to touch what the, what the chain costs. And so she decides that she has this really beautiful long hair. The story describes her as how beautiful she is and her hair. She loved her. It was, it was her great treasure. So she goes, she cuts her hair. She sells her hair, gets enough money to then go and buy the chain for the watch for her husband. And it's Christmas Eve, and the way that he tells the story, she's, she's nervous, she's, she's tried to fix herself up, she's embarrassed that she, you know, her hair's not there anymore, she doesn't think she's beautiful, but she's done all that she can, and she can't wait for him to come through the door, and he comes through the door, and there's this look of absolute shock on his face. And she begins to cry, and she says, don't, the hair will grow back. I'm just so happy to see you come here and sit down. And So she hasn't said a word. He comes, he sits down, and she gives him this gift, and he opens it up, and it's the chain for his watch. And then he begins to cry, and he says, well, I, got, I got you something. And he hands her a gift, and she opens it up, and it's combs, combs for her hair. He had sold his watch to buy her combs. She'd sold her hair to buy him a chain. And there they sit, and they say, let's put the gifts away, and they, uh, they, they embrace. It's this beautiful picture. And O. Henry he calls it the gift of the Magi. And this is how he says it at the end. This is, his, this is sort of his conclusion. I'll just read it to you. I think it's great. He says, $8 a week or a million a year. What's the difference? A mathematician or a wit would, would try to give you the answer, but it would be wrong. The Magi, as you know, were, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the newborn king of the Jews in the, majors, in the manger. They invented the art of giving gifts. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, and possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. We, we, we ought to duplicate what, they, what they've done, is what he's saying. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat 
who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures that they owned. But in the last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are, they are the wisest. Everywhere, they are wisest. They, they are the magi. Henry's point is they, that's the epitome of it. They'd sacrificed joyfully for each other. And there they were left with the, the beauty of the sacrifice at the end. Well, that's what Paul is wanting to relay to the Corinthians. Man, I'm not sending you a bill. This isn't a Christian tax. This is, man, this is what generosity is. And he's going to lay that out beautifully. The first week we looked at, just to remind you, generous lives are an overflow of the grace of God. The second week we said generosity is not a matter of law. It's a matter of love. It's not how much you give. or It's why you give. Why are you generous? That's the heart of the matter. And then last week we said, look, generosity is more than a feeling. Feelings, emotions, those are good. We didn't say they were bad, but, but they won't sustain your intention. Something greater than emotion has to be at work for generosity to be a reality. And that, that thing greater than emotion is, is a person. It's Jesus. And then this week I want you to see that what Paul's going to say, what we're going to see from these last few verses, is that generosity doesn't begin with with how you're moved emotionally, or even what you ultimately end up doing, generosity starts with what you believe. And that's where Paul is aiming with these last few verses. So look with me. I'm going to read a verse. We'll talk about it. Read a verse. We'll get all the way to the end this morning. Verse 6 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, the point is this. This is the point. That whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's an agricultural analogy. He's using, he's, he's employing a, a metaphor here. To, to gain a little context, if you look back in, in the end of verse 5, he's talking about two different things. Sort of the, um, the a willing gift or an extraction or an exaction. A willing gift... Or do we have to pry it out of your hands? I don't want to pry it out of your hands. I want this to be a willing gift, is what he's saying. So he's illustrating with this agricultural analogy, this metaphor, the difference between uh, a willing gift and prying something out of the hands of the greedy. That's, that's what he's saying. And so it serves, agriculture back in that day served as the source of kind of common wisdom. And, you know, you looked at agriculture and you said, you know, um, life's a lot like agriculture, uh, like we do today, maybe about things like golf. Or is Winford Hodges here this morning? Hunting. Have you ever been around Winford? He's like, you know, this is his life. You know, hunt with your kids or hunt for them. I mean, I've heard him say, he's taking the principle about here's a couple of golf ones for you. Um, uh, Arnold Palmer got golf like life is deceptively simple and endlessly complicated. It satisfies the soul, frustrates the intellect, and is at the same time rewarding and maddening. And if you play golf, you go, yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know what? Life's like that too. 
This is what he's doing. He's using a farming metaphor. And he says, listen, so, you know, we all know how we work the ground. You work the ground, you, you till it up, you take your bag of seed and you sow the seed. And, the, and a bag of seed is great. Man, blessed be you to have a bag of seed. But a harvest, a corn, a, a field of corn, that's way better. And there's this moment when the farmer, every farmer knows that you have to scatter the seed by faith in what it is that will become. That no farmer sits there and says, man, at the end of the day, well, I got this seed and I got this ground and I mean, seed's great. But I mean, you can only eat seed so long, right? You want to put it in the ground. But a farmer doesn't sow half the bag of seed and get to the end and go, well, at least I got a half a bag of seed left. I got a skimpy harvest, but I have my half a bag of seed. That's not the, that's not the point. He throws it all out there in hopes of what it'll become. See, Paul, listen, I'm going to say more about this in just a second, but Paul doesn't, this isn't like some principle of a shrewd investment strategy, all right? I mean, he's not writing to the stockbrokers of the day that says, look, this is how you're going to get rich. This is how you enrich yourself. You know, you give some away, God's going to give it back to you, and you're going to gain material prosperity, and, and you, you, you're going to get rich. This is how you get rich. It's not what he's saying. In fact, he going to say just the opposite. If that's the way that you're investing, if that's the hope of your investment, that's the hope of your generosity, the harvest is going to be spiritual poverty. God may very definitely reward with material abundance, but it's, it's for the purpose of making people more generous. So look at verse 7. He says, As each one, so here's your principle. You want to know the principle? Ask somebody the first week, so just tell me how much. I just need to know how much, and then I'll see you in September, okay? Just give me the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Here's, here is the bottom line. How much are you supposed to give? How generous are you supposed to be with your time, with your resources, with the life experience you have? Here it is. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word heart it just means your, your conscience. Your conscience decides. That's the New Testament principle. You say, well, what about the Old Testament tithe? Well, this is the Old Testament tithe. Give 10%. That was the law. There's not a law to follow in the New Testament. What's your conscience say? How is your heart working on this? It's not an extraction. It's not a Christian tax. It's, it's this great privilege. And we're called, we get to be cheerful in the midst of it. There's no defined amount. Rather, God has made cheerfulness. He's made gladness the mark of Christian generosity. Here's this. God loves a cheerful giver because that is precisely what God is. A cheerful giver. And generosity flows from hearts 
that have grasped hold of the grace poured out by God through his son. It is, listen, generosity can't be forced. It can't be coerced. It comes about from being radically overwhelmed by what God's done. You ever see Christmas, the, really the greatest Christmas movie that was ever made, uh, starring Bill Murray, Scrooged? Dickens wrote a book that was similar to it called A Christmas Carol, but really didn't, he really didn't grow up to all that it was going to be until Bill Murray starred in Scrooge, right? The, <laughs> Leslie's a purist, and, but I, I, like, I like that one. You know how it goes. So his name's Frank Cross, one of the opening scenes, and it has cross on the wall, and it's defined as something you nail people to. I mean, you know, that's, that's sort of him. That's, that's sort of how he lives. And at the end of the movie, he's had this change of heart. I mean, you know, so he's all the, the three ghosts, Christmas, future, and present, and past. And, but but he, he dawns on him. He gets it. And he's, so he's standing there at the end, and he's, you know, he's just... He's just He's just sort of drunk with happiness is how he, and he's just classic Bill Murray, and he's just wandering around. He's like, you know, I'm the guy that tried to staple antlers to a, to a mouse today. I was that guy, but I'm not that guy anymore. And he keeps saying over and over again, I get it now. I get it now. And then he says, he's looking into the camera to everybody who's watching, it's not too late. It's not too late for you. I get it now. It's not just a Christmas Eve thing. It's not just a Christmas thing. It's not just something that comes and goes for a couple of hours a year and you go back to the rest of your life. It's something that overwhelms and he just, he just, he just goes on and on and on. He says, it can happen to you. He says, when it does, you want it. And you want it more and more and more. That's what Paul's saying. This cheerful giving, this, the word's hilarious, giving. So he's given a metaphor, he's given them a principle. And in verses 8 and 9, he's going to give them something to believe, which is the whole point. It doesn't start with an emotion or, or even a need out there. It's not even about ultimately what you do, it it comes about, generosity flows from, begins with what you believe. And so he says in verse 8, look at what he says. And God is able. God is able. If you want a good New Testament study, you can find a concordance. You can Google search it if you wanted to. Look at all the places in the New Testament where the New Testament speaks about God being able. It'll encourage your faith. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. It's just extravagant. God is able. He's, do you believe He's able? Do you believe it? As it's written in verse 9, he says, and he, now he's going to quote a psalm. He's distributed freely. 
He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. We're the poor that he's given to. The righteousness is what we needed. We didn't have it on our own. We couldn't find it, buy it, manufacture it. That righteousness came from Jesus. In fact, he even said, the last chapter, he said that he who was rich became poor so that through his poverty, we might be made rich. It's about righteousness. But Paul's saying, look, this word abound, it means more than enough. It's not just the getting by God, it's the more than enough God. It's the same word that he uses, uh, the, the, the New Testament uses, Luke uses it in Luke chapter 15 where he's writing about uh, the prodigal son. You know the story, and he's, you know, he's, in the, he's in the pig ditch, and he's hungry, and, he, and the prodigal son has this thought, and he thinks, you know what? My father's servants have more than enough bread, and I'm here hungry. It's the same word that's used in the account of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that? Where Jesus, there's all the, everybody's on the hillside, and the disciples look, because they're prudent, man. The disciples, they got wisdom. They're like, Jesus, look. I know you're a great teacher, you like, to, you like to teach along, and we all love that. But here's the deal, these people have to eat. And if we don't let them go now, it's going to be dark, and they got to get off this hill. And I mean, we're going to have people fainting, and then you got the whole fainting thing going on, and we don't want that. Let, let them go so they can eat. And then Jesus says to them, you know what he says? Will you feed them? And he said, with What? It would take a year's worth of wages. To, and we've been wandering around with you. We don't have anything. And he says to me, you know what he says? Well, what do you have? I'm like, well, we're going to sack lunch. So bring it to me. And then he takes it and he blesses it and begins to distribute it. 5,000 men and all their wives, and all their children. And at the end, he sends the disciples out to pick up what's left over, and the word is, there was more than enough for 12 baskets. Isn't that great? God, he's able. Do you believe he's able? That's what Paul's getting at with them. Do, do you believe that he's Able, his, his grace is more than enough. It's poured out on you. He's able. Reluctance to sow generously reflects that we don't believe God is able. That he's all sufficient, that he's all gracious. What it assumes is, it says, look, we can only give when we're prospering, or we can only be generous when we have something extra that we don't need for ourselves. And Paul is saying, no, no, look, at all times, in all places, for everything God provides, that there's never a time when we can't be generous. In the second century, there was a guy named Diogenes, and he, was a, he wasn't a believer, but he was fascinated by 
the church. He was fascinated by this whole thing, Christianity. He saw, man, Christianity is growing rapidly. And so he had reached out to a friend who was a believer and said, tell me about, tell me about this Christianity. Tell me about these people. Why is this thing growing? And so we have preserved from the second century this letter called Letter to Diogenes. And listen to, I'm just going to read, this is a little bit of a paraphrase, but listen to what it says. The guy that's writing the letter to the man, he says, let me tell you why Christianity's spreading so fast. Christians busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is, is in heaven. They live in their own native lands, but they live as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native land, and every native land is as a foreign country. They marry and have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They share their table with everyone, but they don't share their bed with everyone. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They're poor, but they make many people rich. They are short of everything, and yet they have plenty of everything. They're treated outrageously, but behave respectfully. They're mocked, yet in return they bless. When they do good, they're attacked. And when they're attacked, they rejoice as if being given new life. That's great. You know what? That's our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our heritage. That's our DNA as a church. As believers, that's who we are. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the description of us as a church? God is able. He's able. Look at what he says. Let's move on. In verse 10 and 11, um, he who supplies seed to the sower. Now listen. Listen to how the, listen to how the, the, the verbs come. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and Increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now listen, this is not prosperity theology. I get it. I know why people, you know, listen, are part of the church. They look into the church and they go, well, I, all those people are about money. Because if you turn on the TV, that's what's readily available. This is prosperity theology. You give your $67 to this ministry or to this person... And listen, reap a harvest of a thousand. You just sit there and you just watch it roll into your bank. But you kind of want to write the letter back and go, I tell you what, let's do it this way. You send me $67. Let's see how fast the thousand turns up in your account. It's not prosperity. Listen, all of that, the motive behind that is this. Give to God so you'll get rich. Enrich yourself so you can have more. Live the life that, man, you know that you've always wanted. And the only thing holding you back is writing that check to me. That's the heart of prosperity theology. You, know, you see how they get it, for, except they leave off the rest of the verse, right? You'll be enriched in every way 
So that why? You can be generous in every way. It's not for you. But man, you get to participate in it. You get the joy of it. One writer said it this way. It's an old writer. A selfish man is never rich. His day is as, is as long as his neighbor's, yet he has no leisure except for his own amusements. No sympathy or concern beyond his own perplexities. No strength but to fight his own battles. And no money except for his own need. What haunts his mind at every turn is the dread of having too little for himself. That's what Paul's saying. You sow sparingly, never, you never have the harvest. Well, he goes on, verse 12, he says, for the, for the, for the ministry of this service, it's generosity. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in the many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. When we hear about confession of the gospel of Christ, obedience to the gospel of Christ, you say, you believe, you've trusted in Jesus, that's what he means. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. If you'll remember a couple weeks ago, we began in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, and he talks about, hey, let me tell you about the grace of God. The grace of God. Exhibit A is the Macedonians. This is what it looks like when the grace of God overflows out of your life. And he ends here in verse 14. So listen, generosity, people are going to look and go, man, the grace of God overflowing out of your life. And God gets the glory. That's what he's talking about. That's what that word approve means. It means evidence. Evidence examined. Do they believe that God is able? See, here's the thing. Um, some well-known verses let me remind you of. If you're a believer, maybe you have these memorized, at least if you don't know them, you, you know the truth of them. That's why you're a believer. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this, this isn't of your own doing. No one can boast about this. This is the gift of of God. And then he goes on in the very next verse and says, and not only that, but you've been created for good works. Good works that were prepared for you beforehand, before the foundations of time, God wrote and prepared and planned all these good works for you to walk in. In, in his son Jesus. And here what Paul is, is letting them know is that not only has God created this. Not only is that what you were created for. Not only has that become, hey, listen, now I know life. This, this is life. 
Not only that, but that God is providing the way. He, the means, the resources, the blessings, the experiences, the time for you to live out those good works. He's not only prepared the good works, He supplies all the resources that you need. More than enough. In verse 9, like I said, we were the poor that He distributed freely to. He has supplied the seed. And he will supply and multiply and increase. So we can go and we look and say, well, I mean, I know, but what do I have? Bring me what you have. You won't believe what I can do with it. And there's going to be more than enough. It's this harvest of righteousness he talks about. And it will result in the praise of God and the glory of God. At the end of um, the Romans section on doctrine, the book of Romans, letter to the Romans, the, the first 11 chapters are, are, are doctrine, they're theology. They're who we are, they're the problem we have in sin, the, the hopelessness we have because of sin. Yet the gift of, of God and His Son to, to save us, we can't save ourselves, but we don't even look for God or seek Him or desire Him. Before his son Jesus moves in our life. Amen. He talks about we've been justified, saved, we've been made right with God, not of anything we did, but what if Jesus did, and then speaks about us growing in Christ and how we become more like Jesus, more conformed into, more transformed into this image of God that we were created in. It's making all things new again. And it gets to the end of all this doctrine. And if you read it through, you start in Romans 1, you read it at the end of 11, I mean, your mind is just sort of like, I don't know that I can get all this. And Paul felt the same way. Listen to what he said at the very end of that, before he turns into 12 and begins to talk about what it looks like as we live it out. But listen to how he ends this part. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then listen to this. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. From Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. I mean, let me say this. Generosity encompasses all three of those. From Him, and through Him, and to Him. And too often we approach it like this, that it's somehow from me and through me, and then I take all of that and I offer it to Him. The best I have... 
plus the best I can do. And then I offer it to him. Paul says, no, that, you got that all wrong. It's all from him. It's all through him. It's all to him. To him be glory forever. You know what our, our problem was? Paul said we had fallen short of the glory of God. As believers, we live out that glory. Lives poured out as we reflect and the overflow of God's grace in our life. That's why he ends. He shouts at the end, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know, this only place, it's the first place ever that word inexpressible is used. The, the, new, the first century Christians will pick up the word, but he, Paul invents a word. It's indescribable. I don't even know how to describe God's grace. So he makes up a word. Indescribable. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you believe it? God is generous. He's the ultimate giver, restoring the image of God, transforming us into the likeness of his son. The ultimate giver is making us like Thanks be to God. That's four weeks of living generously. We could spend another ten, but those are these are the four. These two chapters, the New Testament has way more to say about it. It comes down this morning to you and I, do we do we believe that he's able? Do we? And then after that, our lives just flow out of that. Do you believe he's able? Well, as we wrap up this morning, and Tom, I'm not going to show that, that deal, but um, I'll tell you about a thing. You, you can opt into this or, or not. You, this is no pressure. This is like the lowest pressure thing you're ever going to get from me, Dave Anderson. Lowest pressure. But it's an offer to you, okay? If you want it, it's all yours. But we're calling it a 21-day generosity challenge. And let me explain that to you, all right? Um, <clears throat> what it means is starting in a couple of days, if you want it. If you don't want it, you don't have to have it. We'll send everybody an email, and you can say, yes, I want it. Or you can ignore us, and we won't send it to you. Or you can say, no, no, I don't. I never want it. You, you write something real ugly. It won't go to me anyway, so. <laughs> and if you don't get our emails, by the way, Jesse at Bethel Bible, email her and say, yeah, yeah, I want, I want, I want to tr try that deal. Um, so 21 days, I'll send you an email. You get an email every day. It's just super short. You could read the email at a stoplight. Not while you're driving, but at a stoplight. It'll have a biblical truth. And then a, like a generosity prompt, so something you practically do. I'm just going to practically do this. 
And just so you know, I mean, the church doesn't benefit from any of these things. There's just like, how do you live generously? How do you like, okay, I'm going to intentionally look for something to do that's generous to them and intentionally look for a way that grace can overflow out of my life. And so to give you an example, the first one, it's, it's corny. But it's great. I hope you do it. So buy a candy bar for somebody you work with and then write them a note. I sure appreciate you. So I'm thankful for you or just something encouraging. Just leave it. Don't tell them how. So that's like the first one. And there are things like that every day. How can we begin to think generously in the world that we are every single day? So that'll come out. If you want to do it, I invite you to. We met with the leaders of the church this weekend, and they're going to be doing it alongside you. If you want to do it, I'm going to be doing it. So um, would love for you to join us. In that, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray. The, these guys are gonna come up. They're gonna play us out. But I'm gonna go ahead and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. So if you would, would you bow your heads, and we'll uh, we'll go to the Lord. Father, we pray that you have been honored by this time this morning, this time in your Word. I pray that it won't return void. I pray, Father, you would, by your Spirit, take what you have inspired. It was recorded through the pen of Paul. And then, Father, by your Spirit, illuminate that to us so that we understand it. We, we, and, and would understand it even more than we can intellectually grasp or comprehend, but that we would understand it in the place of our heart, our new heart that you've given us as believers as you're changing us and transforming us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus. That, Father, we would not walk out of here thinking, okay, well, this is what i got to do. For the Father, we'd walk out of here overwhelmed at what you have done. So we pray with Paul. Thanks be to you, God, for your inexpressible, indescribable gift of your Son, Jesus. And that's how we pray, the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.